All right. How's everybody feeling? Good. Man, so it's been a fun week. Uh, it's been a hot week. I, I've enjoyed getting in the, in the sea and the pool and hanging out with y'all, and it's been fun. Um, but today is the last day. Oh, was, was my daughter running towards the front? <laughs> um, <laughs> almost. She almost made it. I think, I think she tries every time I preach. I think that's the closest she's gotten. Um, good job, baby. <laughs> All right, well, uh, y'all turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Um, so this whole week we've been talking about peace. We've been talking about peace with God. And we talked about peace vertically with God. We talked about how we are at one point enemies with God, and God has brought us close and made us friends through Jesus and then we've talked about how we uh, live out this peace vertically through peace horizontally. Y'all remember that? How we have to have peace with one another. And we, uh, there's a lot of divisions in this present age, but Jesus' new creation is defined by unity. So the church should not be shaped by the way the, pre- the, the church should, be not, should not be shaped by the divisions that shape the present age. It should be shaped by the unity that comes from Jesus. And then yesterday we talked about how Jesus pushes us out to share this message of peace with a world that does not know peace. So we are on mission with Jesus, and he is the one who is, who is leading us on his mission. And so if all these things are true, what, you, what the body of Christ should look like is a people at peace who are uh, at peace with God and at peace with each other. But there's a thing or there is a being called the devil. Have y'all heard of the devil? Uh, his, his name is the Satan, the, the Satan, the, the, the adversary or the accuser, right? He is out to see the people of God at war with each other and at war with God. This is Satan's main goal. If, if there's a spiritually good being who is God, there's a spiritually evil being who is seeking to destroy everything that God does. And God's, see, the, the, the work of the gospel, when the gospel goes out into the world, the work of salvation or the end result of salvation is a people united and at peace displaying the glory of God, bringing glory to God. And the devil hates this. So his goal is to break up the body of Christ, to, to have people at war with each other and at war with God. So today I want to talk about the number one, one of the number one ways that we can protect the work of the gospel is to be at peace with each other. And how do we protect this peace? How do we maintain this peace? So I'm going to look at uh, Philippians 1 through chapter 2, 1 through 11, because I think this is what Paul is talking about. He's talking about how do we maintain the peace that God has worked among the body of Christ. Um, so here now the reading of God's word in the verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, In Christ Jesus, 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Remember what we talked about? In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Y'all pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, that he is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. Uh, Because of his humility, because of your humility, Jesus, you have been given a name that is above every name, a name that is above every name of every demon, uh, every authority, principality, dominion, and power. Jesus, you are king, and there is uh, no one else besides you. So, Jesus, uh, King Jesus, would you uh, help us to understand your kingly documents? Would you help us to understand your covenant documents and us, your people, would we uh, submit to them? So, Lord, me as your ambassador, would you help me to explain these words that you have written down for your people in all places and all times? Lord, I ask that, Holy Spirit, you would help me to preach with earnestness, with compassion, with boldness, with seriousness, and with joy. And, Lord, I pray that you would open the hearts of my hearers that they might receive your word with belief, that they might believe it, they might trust it, they might cherish it and treasure it, they might love it. And, Lord, they might not only be good hearers, but they would be good doers, that this would affect the way that they walk before you. Lord, we love you. Amen. So football is one of the greatest American sports. Uh, There are 11 people on on each team, and all these people with all their different positions and all the different routes they're running, all the different things that are going on, their goal is to get this, like, diamond-shaped ball across the field and into the uh, end zone to do a touchdown, right, to score a touchdown, right? But have have you ever thought about this? I don't know, I'm weird, so I think about this sometimes. Have you ever thought about what it's like to be alien and watch some of the stuff that we do as humans? Like, for example, you know, it took six hours to drive here. Like, if an alien watched us driving, we would just be doing this for six hours. Isn't that weird? Or with TV, like, they would be like, hmm, the humans like to just sit and stare at this, like, screen for, you know, seven hours a day. I imagine that, and I imagine that they would look at football and be like, hmm, somehow they all run around and bump into each other, and this ball moves across the field, right? Like, have you ever, like, if, you, if no one knew what football was, it would look very chaotic. Like, there's all these people running around and pushing and shoving each other, but somehow the goal of bringing that ball down the field happens. And you know how this happens? Because there's a playbook, right? Everybody has a job. Everybody knows the play. All the, the blockers know which way to block, whether it's right or left. They, 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 the, the hole opens up, and people run through the certain holes that are made, and they um, have the same goal. They're of one mind. They're of, on full accord, and they're bringing this ball into the, to the end zone. They have unity. They are 11 people, but they are able to operate as a team. Are you all with me? And so this is what Paul is doing here in this passage. So Paul is... Uh, 
He's, he's, he's likely um, in Rome. He's locked up. Paul's in prison, and he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he is asking them to do one thing because he knows they are facing hostility from a world that does not want them to be at peace. He knows that there's an enemy, and so he's like, please, please, please do this one thing for me. And you know what he asked them to do? He asked them to be united. He wants them to be united. So we've often heard that the theme of Philippians is joy, and that is one of the big themes. But another huge theme of Philippians is unity. Paul wants them to be united. So the, the, the main point for today, if you don't get anything else at all, Peace is maintained by unity. That's it. Peace is maintained by unity. Now, I want to talk about a couple things. I want to talk about the how of unity, and I want to talk about the who of unity. First, I want to talk about the how of unity, and then I want to talk about the who of unity. So first, the how of unity. Somebody say, the how of unity. So I think the how of unity in this text, I don't think, I know, the how of unity is humility. So in the first couple of verses, he's like, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. He's like begging them. He's like, if there is any evidence of the work of God among you, please do this. What is he asking them to do? He says, be of the same mind, have the same love be a full accord, have one mind. So he's basically, all these commandments are summed up and Paul is like, please, please, please be united. Why does he want them to be so united? Just a few verses earlier in this passage, it says this. So uh, chapter one, verse 27 says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel check this out, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So he's saying, hey, in order, there are, there are actual people that are against the body of Christ. And the way that you fight them is not by taking up swords or guns or actually fist fight. The, the, the way that you fight them is by being united. When the body of Christ is united, that is a clear sign that God is with you and not with them. Does that make sense? Unity is the sign that God is with us and not with them. And it's not because we're like, mm, yeah, suck it. You know, we're like, it's not that kind of crazy thing, right? Like, we, we are not trying to stick it to them or anything like that. We are basically, it is basically a sign that God is real. The gospel is real. The gospel is manifesting itself. And that God is doing a work. And we want to invite other people into the body of Christ, right? So um, we see that unity is important, right? Um, but also the, uh, the picture of unity, like I said, is same love, being a full accord, having the same mind. So what does all this mean? This means that they have no divisions, no cliques. They're not fighting amongst one another. Because once that happens, you know, Satan doesn't even have to do much. Jesus said of Satan's kingdom that a, that a kingdom divided against itself uh, will fall. How can Satan cast out Satan, right? And the same thing with body of Christ. Like, we have to be un, uh, unified of, of one accord. Um, 
So, like, what, what does this actually look like? In verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So, um, what is, like, what are the things that they have to do in order to accomplish this unity? What are the things that seek to break apart this unity? The enemy of unity is pride. And so everything that they have to do, everything that they are working towards has this enemy in mind. Pride, doing stuff from selfish ambition and conceit, this is pride. So I don't know about y'all, but, but when I think about pride, um, I oftentimes think about this person who's really into themselves, right? And, and, and this manifests itself as like they just think they are the best at everything. They're like, Oh, yeah, look at me. I'm the greatest. I'm so good at this. Everyone, please love me. But you know what? The person who has high self-esteem, they're prideful. But guess who else is prideful? The person with low self-esteem, right? They, they kind of have the same thing, but it, it, it manifests itself in a different way. They're like, oh, man, I'm horrible. Would everybody please look at me and love me? And, man, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible. Would everyone please tell me how awesome I am? You know what's a common denominator in both of those things? An obsession with ourselves. You see, pride isn't like being full of ourselves in, in, the, in the traditional way we think about it. Pride is an inordinate self-love. It's essentially loving ourselves too much, right? And so basically, high self-esteem and low self-esteem have an excessive self-love at its root. Uh, Tim Keller talks about this in his book uh, called the, um, the uh, what is it, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And also, C.S. Lewis talks about pride. He says that, Pride is the mark of someone who does not know God. He said it's impossible, in, in mere Christianity, he talks about how it's impossible to be a puffed up and extremely prideful person and also a person who has had an encounter with God. Um, but then on the flip side, he talks about pride. He says um, that if we don't think we're prideful, we are the most prideful people indeed. If we don't think we're prideful, we are the most hopeless and prideful people indeed. So we have this thing. Pride is the enemy. Pride is coming against us, yet we all wrestle with pride. We all have pride. How can we handle this dilemma? Um, but a little further into pride, what does pride look like on a practical level? It says, uh, it describes pride as conceit. Conceit is basically an excessive pride. It thinks uh, conceit thinks that we are better than everybody else and that we deserve better things than everybody else and we're worth everybody else. Uh, it also says that pride looks like selfish ambition. Uh, ambition is wanting to be successful. Self-ambition is wanting to be successful at the expense of others. Basically, I have my goals, my reasons, my plans, and I'm going to step over anybody and everybody to get to them. This is what pride looks like in the body of Christ. But what is the opposite of pride? Just yell it out. I'm sure y'all know. What's the opposite of pride? Humility. The key to unity is practicing humility. So uh, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, he talks about humility. He says, humility is the mark of someone who has been in the presence of God. Someone who has been in the presence of God sees themselves as a small and lowly thing. Uh, and Tim Keller talks about how the humble person isn't the person, I, I mess this up every time I say it, isn't the person who thinks less of themselves, but who thinks of themselves less. Did y'all catch that? 
the humble person isn't someone who thinks less of themselves, but thinks of themselves less. So a humble, if the prideful person is obsessed with themselves, right, a humble person is obsessed with other people. A humble person isn't the person who's like, oh, I'm horrible, please love me. The humble person is someone who's just, like, they seem very secure. It's very, a person who's very easy to be around. They ask about you, and they're genuinely interested in you. This is what humility looks like. And, y'all, doesn't this go against um, our common American values? Humility is the opposite of conceit. If, if conceit thinks uh, highly of ourselves, humility, as our text describes it, thinks uh, as others as more significant than ourselves, right? If humility, um, if pride is selfish ambition, then humility is looking to the interests of others as well as our own interests. And so this goes against the individual individualism in our culture. This goes against like the American dream of accomplishing it all and achieving everything, even at the expense of others. This goes against kind of like the, or the, old, the old historical values of imperialism, like if we have a stronger army and we have a, a better military, then they deserve to be conquered and we're gonna you know, uh, take over the world. These things are against humility. And so uh, have, have y'all heard of Andy Minio? Y'all heard of him? He, he's a rapper and he has this song, it's an old song. You, gotta, you kinda gotta be like an old fan of Andy Minio to know this song. It's called The Me Monster. And so, uh, you know, uh, my daughter Aria loves to watch, what is it called, Sesame Street. She loves Elmo. But the cookie monster, he's like, you know, cookies, right? He loves cookies. The me monster loves me. The me monster is like, me, 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 right? The, and, and the song is all about how all of us have this me monster inside of us screaming all the time. Like in every situation, in everything, we're, in every relationship, there's this monster inside of us that is screaming, me, 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 right? Um, and didn't Stranger Things come out today? Did that come out today? <laughs> uh, so y'all know um, the Mind Flayer, right? How in season two, how the Mind Flayer was like this almost big so so basically in stranger things there's this place called the upside down it's basically like our world but it's like an alternate dimension and there's this monster who's trying to take over like our world right and so everything is dying there's pumpkin patches that are rotting and there's this boy is it will there's this boy named will who like the mind flayer is trying to take over him and there's this monster trying to break into our world from an alternate dimension and kill everything this is kind of like what pride is Pride is trying to infiltrate the body of Christ and is trying to possess people and is trying to kill everything, kill churches, kill love, and kill humility. Family, a prideful church is no church. A prideful church is no church. So if we are to be a people at peace with each other, we must kill pride and practice humility among each other. When you meet other people who are not like you, when you meet other people who are hard to love, you must practice humility. Uh, at school, in your youth groups, at home, you must practice humility. And what does this actually look like? So maybe when it comes to economic status, like socioeconomic status, like upper income, middle income, lower income, pride will lead you to think that you're better than those people who don't have money. Or maybe pride will lead you to think that you're better than those people who have money. But when it comes to humility, it leads you to want to enter into another person's experience and see what it's actually like to be them before you judge them, right? What about with gender? 
like pride will lead you to think that because you're a man, you're better, or because you're a woman, you're better. But humility will lead you to honor and respect everybody, regardless of their, of their background, regardless of their gender. When it comes to cliques, right? When it comes to cliques and, and your group of friends, pride will lead you to think that, man, I got the best clique in the whole school. Like, we are pretty cool. Like, anybody should be lucky to be a part of my friend group. But humility will lead you to have open friend groups and to invite other people into your friend groups. Even that person, you know, who is the, like, most lame and nerdy person in your school or whatever. Like, humility will lead you to love them and bring you in, into your friend circles. Basically, basically, the person like me in high school, right? I, I was a nerd in high school. I still am a nerd. Uh, what about when it comes to race? Race, uh, pride with race will make you think that your race or your culture is the best culture and you will judge every other race or every other culture by the standard of your culture. So if another, so every other culture will be weird and yours will be normal, right? Somebody else's cultural name will be weird, but your name will be normal, right? Why can't all those other people have normal names, right? Um, but when it comes to humility, you will look and enter into other people's culture and see it as beautiful. And you will want to uh, know more about their culture and, and appreciate their culture. This is what humility looks like among the body of Christ. Now, I know I've talked a lot about humility. I don't know about y'all, but this kind of sounds hard to me. Isn't this hard? Have y'all ever, like, been, I do this all the time. Have y'all ever been, this happens, like, all the time. Have you ever had a prideful moment, and then you're telling yourself not to be prideful, but the more you tell yourself not to be prideful, the more you're thinking about pride, and the more prideful you get? Does that happen to y'all? Or am I the only weird person like that? You're like, be humble, be humble, be humble, be humble, and it's not working. I'm like, oh, no, right? I'm still thinking about myself, right? Being humble is hard, right? Even though the Bible commands us to be humble, I think more often that we have to be humbled, Right? We need to be humiliated. And, uh, man, it is oftentimes painful. But I think that the gospel gives us grace. I think the gospel gives us good news that us prideful people have someone who has modeled humility for us and makes us humble. And this brings me to my second and last point. Who, I want to talk about the who of unity. The who of unity is the humiliated one, Jesus. The who of unity is the humiliated one, and his name is Jesus. Now, see, Paul tells him to be of the same mind, to be of one mind, to be of full accord, of the same love. But how do we have this? Um, so have you all ever seen, like, sci-fi movies or anything like that where there's this person who's in this virtual reality and they're fighting bad guys, but then they need a certain skill set, and so they're like, you know, like, er, you know, operator, I need, you know, helicopter flying skills. And then they just, like, download it, and then they know how to fly a helicopter. Have y'all ever seen any movies like that? You, okay, y'all. Yeah, I'm so, see, I'm thinking about the Matrix. When, when I said helicopter, y'all knew the Matrix, right? Trinity was like, you know, tank, helicopter, uh, such and such. And then she can fly a helicopter, right? That's almost what it's like when we get converted. Like, we are prideful people, and we're, like, calling up to the operator, and we meet Jesus, and we're like, God, I need a humble mind. And God's like, and he downloads it, right? That's what it means that we have the mind of Christ, that he has restored our minds. The Holy Spirit has literally lived inside of us, and the Spirit knows God's mind, and you have God's Spirit. So because you have God's Spirit, you can know God's mind. Does that make sense? 
or should I say it again? First, First Corinthians 2 explains it. So the spirit of Cyril knows Cyril's mind, right? Are y'all with me? If you have Cyril's spirit, would you know Cyril's mind? That's what it's like with God. God's spirit knows God's mind. And because you have God's spirit, you know God's mind. And his mind is being downloaded into your mind. I know it's kind of weird. But that's what the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 2. You have the mind of Christ. And the Christian life is this downloaded mind having more and more, you can say, like apps. Downloading certain apps in order for you to be more like Jesus. So what does this mind look like? Jesus has displayed it himself. It says this um, in verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Christ rejected pride. So Paul earlier said, do not be conceited and do not do anything from selfish ambition. Jesus was not conceited and he showed us, he displayed it. Jesus didn't do anything from selfish ambition. He showed us, he rejected pride. Here's the thing. In eternity past, God the Son was just like God the Father and God the Spirit. Jesus had uh, all of the same power. He was equal in power and glory. He was of the same essence as uh, the, 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 the rest of the Godhead. Everything that can be said about God could have been said about God the Son in eternity past. It wasn't like Jesus was a third God. Like, he was fully God, and he was beautiful. He was glorious. He did not need to reject pride. He deserved to be uh, to have all the outward display and glory of God. But guess what Jesus did? Even though he was equal to God, he did not insist upon that being something that he operated out of. Does that make sense? Even though he was equal with God, he didn't insist that that was something that he operated as if he was equal with God. He didn't count it something to be grasped. He took on, the Bible says he took on the form of a servant. He temporarily let go the radiant glory, the outward insignia of his glory, the exercise of his transcendent powers in order to save us. You see, God, when, when, when Jesus became a human, he didn't give up his divinity, right? He was still 100% and fully God. He emptied himself by taking on humanity. So Jesus became 100% God, but he humbled himself by becoming 100% man. Are y'all still with me? Jesus was 100% God and 100% man, and this is how he humiliated himself. The, verse 7 says he emptied himself. He took on the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So have you ever thought about this, how humble, how humbling it is for God, the son, to become a human? Like Jesus created the whole world and he had to pass through one of his creatures birth canals. Have you all ever thought about that? Like the virgin birth is a very human thing. Like Jesus um, umbilical cord had to be cut. And then not only that, he was the, our, our confession says he was born in a low condition. He was placed in an animal feeding bin. I would be upset if they placed my daughter in animal feeding bin when she was born, right? He was born in, around animals, and he was wrapped in animal cloth, and he had to grow up. Like, have you ever thought about this? Like, Jesus got dusty and got dirty. Jesus had B.O., right? <laughs> Jesus got sweaty. He got hungry. Uh, Jesus, when he woke up, he had to brush his teeth, right, because he had morning breath. 
Jesus was 100% human. I don't know if they had toothbrushes back then, but Jesus was 100% human. And not only that, but he, uh, he, he, he was like, people really didn't know that he was the son of God. Have you ever thought about this? John the Baptist had to point out who the Messiah was, and Jesus was like 30. Like, y'all didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah for the first 30 years of his life? You mean that you lived in the same house as Jesus and John the Baptist still had to point him out? It means that Jesus was like a legit human. He was humble. He, he, and he was willing to serve us by touching our skin diseases, by washing our feet, by teaching us day after day as a Jewish rabbi, and oftentimes without a place to lay his head. Now, I know if it was me, if I was the eternal son of God, that just sounds cool, like the eternal son of God. I would be like, hey, Heavenly Father, I'm only going down there if they know I'm the eternal son of God, right? I'm only going down there if it's clear. Like, I want an aura around me everywhere I go. I want everywhere my feet touch to turn to gold. I want, like, when I pass by water, I want it to evaporate. Like, I want people to know that I'm the son of God. But Jesus was not like this. He became just like us. He became a legit human even though he was 100% God. Do you see the depth of shame that Jesus endured? Not only did he live a normal human life and obediently submitted himself to the will of the Father, but he died a humbling death. Can y'all imagine dying like someone nailing you to a piece of wood and that's how you die? That is horrific. Like they, we talked about how they violently whipped Jesus so that his flesh was already hanging off of him and he was bleeding. And then they led him to a piece of wood. They nailed him there. And as he was hanging, this is how he died. See, they, 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 um, his, his legs would get tired and his hands would, would, get, would be hurting. So, but he couldn't breathe. So his arms were stretched out and he couldn't breathe. So he's pressing up with his legs, but it would hurt because there's nails. And, but he would be trying to press up with his hands, but there's nails in his hands. And then he would let down, but he can't breathe. And so this is like he was painfully suffocating as he was hanging on the cross. And he was naked. People saw all of who Jesus was. Like Jesus did, went through all of this. Why? Jesus was crucified and became a human, hung naked, because he wanted to see us unified. He did this because he loves you. He did this because he wants a people that are unified under his lordship. Jesus loves you so much that he experienced the depths of humility so that you can experience the height of his love. Jesus experienced the depth of humility so that you could experience the height of his love. And what his love does towards the body of Christ is his love unifies us. And you see, I think... The church, if we have the mind of Christ, that we ought to have this same posture towards the world, that we ought to be willing to experience the depths of humility so that the world can experience the height of Christ's love. And so my challenge for us today as we, as we leave this place is that in order to maintain this peace that we have with each other, we have to have unity. And how do we get unity? We get unity by humility. And how do we get uh, humility? We get it from the humiliated one. Um, And this is the thing. We have to challenge ourselves. How do we practically live this out? 
empowered by the love of Jesus, empowered by the example of Jesus, that he died for our sins and he, dis- he, he, he uh, displayed humility to us. How do we live this out? It looks like walking with the resurrected Jesus in doing practical deeds of love for the sake of unity. Like I said, um, it looks like respecting our parents even when they tell us to do things that might be embarrassing. Uh, It looks like washing the dishes and humbly serving others even when we don't feel like it. It looks like someone dropping their mess or, or making a mess and you're helping them and you're cleaning up that mess instead of making fun of them. It looks like this. Someone has wronged you or you have wronged somebody else and you ask for forgiveness or you grant forgiveness. It looks like confessing your sins to God. This is what humility looks like. This is what unity looks like among the body of Christ. It looks like being humble. Y'all, if we are to really be at peace with each other, we have to have humility. And this cultivates unity. So, y'all, that's the last thing. And and every time I speak to people who are younger than me at conferences, I kind of give, like, a... I guess a future, like, so I, I don't know if y'all like me, I'm weird. Present Cyril talks to future Cyril all the time, right? So like with, with in future Cyril, I'm like, okay, so I'm already, this is the conversation I'm having with future Cyril. Future Cyril, you are gonna be in DC, but for the first year of being in DC, only do RUF at Howard because you're gonna wanna do everything else, okay? Like, and like, it's almost like I seal an imaginary envelope and mail it to future Cyril, right? So I wanna like talk to future you when you're in college, when you're in, uh, when you are graduating and you might have jobs, you might have spouses, you might have children. I know that this week is like a big high, right? That you're experiencing all this great fellowship. You're experiencing all this great fun. You're experiencing these great moments. Uh, you are going to seminars, like you're getting Jesus every moment of every day. Um, and so there can be high moments like this, but I want to encourage you Um, to continue to pursue Jesus. Don't just let pursuing Jesus be something that happens here. And don't let be pursuing Jesus something that happens in high school because you're going to go to college and most likely, I hope not, I hope not. But oftentimes I hear so many testimonies of, man, I went to college and I fell away from the Lord, but then I re-met the Lord, (laughs) right? And then I started walking with him. I want to encourage you to keep on pursuing him like you're pursuing him now. Get plugged into RUF, listen to your youth group leaders, listen to your pastors, and I want you to even continue to follow him and practice humility, practice peace, uh, to value this peace with God even when it's hard, even when it looks silly, even when people around you aren't doing it, because I promise you, I promise you from experience, you will gain far more by having Jesus then you will ever gain from any and everything else. Jesus is worth it. So as we leave this place, I want to encourage you all to pursue Jesus, not just for the rest of the summer, not just for the rest of the year, not just for the rest of high school, but for the rest of your lives. Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, I love you. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time. Um, Jesus, we ask that you would work humility among us. Would you work peace among us. Lord, would you work unity among us? Lord, we know that the enemy seeks to break this apart. 
But Lord, we ask that you would defend us against the schemes of the enemy. That you would defend us from the flaming darts of the devil. Jesus, thank you for being the perfect picture of humility. So Jesus, would you help us to live this out so that we might maintain the peace with each other and our peace with God. We love you. Amen.